0: Chapter 8, Top 10 Trends in DeFi. Eight points are DeFi is back. DeFi represents just under 0.01% of the approximate $5-10 trillion value of global financial assets. That represents some headroom for growth. Last year provided evidence that on-chain financial rails offering transparent and instant settlement can provide greater safety and lower fees under the same stress conditions as off-chain financial rails. DeFi held up well when Luna collapsed, when FTX went bankrupt, and when the US banking system froze up. Even the IMF estimates that DeFi applications have the lowest marginal cost of capital by 3x due to slashing operational costs and margin. The move towards a more regulated DeFi might prove to be inevitable. I'm not necessarily giving up the fight, but many top projects seem to be preparing for rigorous oversight. This will spark product changes that make it look as though we are re-intermediating finance in some cases, but the better way to think about DeFi in a post-regulation age is like a bridge. Jurisdictions that require lots of intermediation for regulatory reasons may treat front-end operators like financial intermediaries, but Wall Street will also finally be able to, if not incentivized to, start some of these storefronts themselves and more volume will flow over public blockchains over time as a result. It's the beginning of a gradual multi-decade technical upgrade, not dissimilar to how financial firms adapted to the internet. 8.1 DEX platform updates. Uniswap's dominance in the DEX space continues, on Ethereum at least. It even eclipsed Coinbase in volumes in March, SVB crisis, and May, peppy boom this year. The automated market maker, Pioneer, continued to lead DeFi through the bear. The Uniswap DAO, which governs the Core Dex Protocol, launched Uniswap on roll-ups, consolidating its lead across the Ethereum ecosystem. Uniswap Labs launched a mobile wallet to lock in its users. Labs unveiled its plans for Uniswap V4. Labs turned on fees for their front-end, more on this, in 8.2. V4 introduced hook contracts creating DeFi's first platform moment. Developers looking to deploy new features, on-chain limit orders, and custom trading strategies can now build on top of the core libraries. Protocols become platforms. Maker, Synthetics, Morpho, and others are building on this trend heading into 2024. Other chains remain up for grabs. Trader Joe dominates on Avalanche. Osmosis remains number one in the cosmos. Orca sits atop Solana's exploding DeFi ecosystem, and PancakeSwap is still basically the only game in town on BNB chain. I'd keep an eye on the projects below in 2024 if we see a combination of A, regulator-led asset delistings at major Western centralized exchanges, B, a melt-up in token prices following a Bitcoin ETF-driven rally, and C, the return of the hotball of money trade for Solana, Cosmos, and non-Ethereum-based DeFi. trading aggregators and front-ends. The problem with the decentralized in DeFi is that it has an undercurrent that suggests your community would be okay limiting its potential take rate. What we've seen repeatedly in DeFi this year has been quite the opposite. Following the announcement of Uniswap v4, Uniswap Labs announced a 0.15% fee on transactions made on its Uniswap Labs-owned web UI and wallet. The company is now making $1 million per month in front end fees as the new fee structure sits atop what the underlying protocol charges users on behalf of its liquidity providers. This looks like a double dip, and I hate the optics, as does Hasib. But I'll also defend it for a couple of important reasons. One, regulatory realism, defy regulation in the U.S. is in a precarious spot, and there's a good chance Uniswap is dealing with a bevy of legal issues that force their hand. I don't think anyone is happy with the idea of regulating front-end interfaces like brokers, but some investors are promoting this as the least bad option given the impossibly hostile regulatory backdrop, not to mention the alternative. Ignoring policymakers' call to act as a broker that collects user information, reports taxes, and cooperates on KYC, AML, and market manipulation investigations might not be a smart position to take to credible decentralization. In light of the regulatory situation, it's healthy to cleanly separate Uniswap Labs from the protocol it helped spawn as well as the Uniswap Foundation. Though you could see how this all would be confusing, right? The UNI supply that was initially distributed to the labs and foundation entities and their teams and investors has mostly vested. Three, opt outs are available. Users can opt out from using the Uniswap front end if they so choose and leverage aggregators like 1inch or 0x's matcha. Yes, the defaults will matter for most users, but this still seems okay. And it's incumbent on new entities, particularly those operating internationally, to compete away Uniswap Labs' incumbent advantage with a better product. The projects I'm watching most closely in the aggregator space are 0x, which has now caught and surpassed its top competitor and 1inch after settling charges with the CFTC. Solana DEX aggregator Jupiter is interesting for another reason. Solana traders are opting to use the community's leading aggregator in greater percentages than the leading DEX Orca. This could be a hint of things to come as interfaces add additional value on top of the on-chain protocols they route transactions to. With additional tooling like Uniswap X or Jupiter's DCA tool, interfaces can win customer acquisition battles and capture value. 8.3 payments. Could this be the year that Lightning finally takes off? While I I don't like making a habit out of betting against people like David Marcus, after five years of development, I would have expected the Lightning Network to have more capacity than Terra Classic USD. But USDC post-Luna collapse is still twice as large, oof there are some other killer payments protocols coming live that will change how we transfer crypto as a 10x improved payment system versus the traditional banking rails. The new functionality these protocols provide can be broadly categorized as streams, continuous real time micropayments for content, subscriptions, token vesting, etc., splits, smart distributed payments amongst a group of recipients according to predefined logic like royalties, and smart payments abstraction layers that, that handle complex payment logic on behalf of users. Basically, all the companies raising tons of VC funding, Sphere Decent, Solana Pay. These are the tools that AI agents and DePIN networks will use to pay one another, not JP Morgan. And they serve as the financial backbone for new types of DSOC networks, Lens V2, where synergistic actions between users are rewarded with programmatic payments investment in the space fell to just under 500 million after 6.5 billion poured in the previous 3 years that is a return to normalcy not the death of the business 8.4 on chain perps. this year dex spot volumes averaged around 15% of cex volumes with uniswap leading the way but when it comes to futures and perpetuals the lifeblood of the cfi markets with 70% of all trading volumes DEX market share is an order of magnitude smaller, averaging between just 1.5, 2.0%. DYDX is even more dominant than Uniswap with 70% plus market share in its sector and a big year upcoming in 2024 with its V4 upgrade. DYDX has been one of the most popular DeFi applications on Ethereum, leveraging Starkware's L2 Infra for its platform, which by itself is currently the fifth largest rollup by TVL that capacity should increase with the migration to DYDX v4 after the project launched its own customized standalone Cosmos chain in October. The DYDX central limit order book model more closely reflects the trading experience most PERPS traders are familiar with, so, odds are good that DYDX can close some of the market share gap with CFI given the stresses those mostly offshore platforms have been dealing with amidst an ongoing regulatory crackdown. The market already took note of the opportunity for DYDX this year. Among DEX tokens over $109 million in market cap, it's been the third best performer behind only 0x and ORCA after notching a 170% gain through the end of November. The only things holding back DYDX are a successful migration of its markets to V4 and its still significant token overhang, just 42% of its token supply is outstanding today. Aside from the Solana DEXs, Drift and Jupiter in particular, one major alternative to watch is DeFi OG Synthetics. Its Andromeda release is upcoming, will introduce cross-margin functionality, support multiple new collateral types, and a range of other trading improvements, access controls, liquidation improvements, etc., plus an attractive change to the SNX token's fee-share dynamics. It trades at a third of DYDEX's fully diluted valuation and was the fourth best DEX performer YTD. If you're going to watch one sector in DeFi this year, it should be the PERP DEX. Um, 8.5 DeFi lending. Um, the Cfi lending markets wreaked havoc on crypto in 2022 and their disastrous effects on the centralized lending market plus rapidly increasing interest rates had spillover effects in the DeFi lending markets. but. But things are slowly coming back, and I'm not sure I can be friends with you if you don't think that the top 10 DeFi protocols, in aggregate, will still be worth less than the world's 216th largest bank by market cap in five years, Cinebus. Yeah. If anything, DeFi lending is the one sector where you can win thrice. One, the trend towards real-world asset tokenization is mostly captured in two areas, yield-bearing, stablecoin holdings. At exchanges like coinbase and DeFi lending protocols for example makers reserve composition has shifted towards tokenized treasuries up from 40 million in mid 2022 to nearly three billion dollars today two they're they're safer than than cefi lending services because they're more transparent and easier to scale globally they held up well versus their CFI counterparts amidst the luna ftx and svb crises over that tumultuous 12-month period and have kept on ticking without much fanfare. Three, LSTs have become a popular collateral type for MKR, constituting 26% of deposits. As more DeFi native investors seek to juice their yields, having an interest-bearing collateral, like Lido's Steth backing a maker vault, will further widen the spread between the attractiveness of CeFi and DeFi loans. Security concerns, rug pulls, Oracle attacks, bridge hacks, et cetera, remain an issue, but DeFi gets more anti-fragile over time and the OG protocols have a Lindy effect. Maker in particular feels like a value investor dream to the extent any TradFi investors look to deploy to liquid crypto markets beyond uh, the major network tokens. MKR now trades at a forward PE of 13-ish, simply incredible. Aave's TVL is up 80% YTD2 driven by adoption of Aave V3 and the proliferation of LSTs as collateral assets this year. Aave V3 introduced a new efficiency mode that allows higher loan-to-value ratios for correlated tokens like ETH and STETH, further juicing staking yields. It hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows. Aave's long-awaited stablecoin, expected to be a big revenue driver and new business model for the money market businesses, stumbled out of the gates, but this is hardly a stagnating project. 8.6 LSTs, liquid staking tokens. LSTs are yield-bearing IOUs issued by liquid staking protocols and have become the largest DeFi sector by TVL. I covered Ethereum's liquid staking derivative juggernaut, Lido, in the products to watch section, as that might be interesting for the TradFi folks and new entrants reading this report, but Lido is an obvious pick for anyone who's deep in the crypto weeds and who understands Ethereum's emerging liquid staking derivatives market. Ethereum's liquid staking market has only existed in a fully functional environment for a handful of months. Before April, ETH could be delegated to a third-party validator in return for a liquid staking token that would serve as an IOU for the contract's underlying staked ETH, but it wasn't fully redeemable. Lido's STETH was effectively the on-chain equivalent of GBTC in that regard. The Chapella upgrade in April marked a significant milestone for Ethereum by enabling staking withdrawals from the Ethereum staking contract. This resulted in substantial capital inflows into ETH staking, as many Ethereum investors had been awaiting the opportunity to stake their assets with the assurance of full redeemability and the flexibility to withdraw at any time. Multiple catalysts still remain for liquid staking. Today, Alluvial and Ether.Fi are creating unique LST offerings and more are working to incorporate distributed validator technology, DVT, to make their staking products and Ethereum staking itself more robust. Liquid staking tokens are a multi-billion dollar industry that supports the security of Ethereum, Solana, and other L1s. Liquid staking on Ethereum has a TVL of $15 billion with 28 million ETH staked and a 3.7% staking yield, staking services collectively generate revenues of $2.3 billion. It's an enormous market with the potential to grow further. And I've come around on staking issuance revenue being real in Ethereum rather than a form of stock dividend thanks to the limitations on the growth of network validators to be imposed by EIP 7514. The greatest opportunity for liquid staking protocols will be in 2024 and the years ahead. If a BTC spot ETF gets approved, can ETH be far behind? TradFi giants are already tripping over themselves to get Gary's approval, and once it is approved, a staked ETH ETF is not much of a leap. A native yield-bearing asset with no inflation, home to the future of finance and the digital consumer economy, and being carbon neutral on top, the investment pitch practically writes itself. But yes, liquid staking could destroy the network with validation delays, thanks to a larger number of validators that must communicate to form consensus. And ETH holding disincentives, if LST liquidity eclipses ETH liquidity, disincentives to hold ETH may cause unpredictable outcomes. But the birth of new products like Eigenlayer, a restaking primitive that enables Ethereum stakers to use their staked ETH to secure additional networks, creates counterbalances. Note, Vitalik has discussed his thoughts on L2s and restaking protocols and exporting demand for protocol security, an essential factor in layer one value accrual at length. Liquid staking tokens, LSTs, are having a transformative effect across the DeFi ecosystem too. LST deposits have accounted for effectively all of the growth in Aave deposits this year and now represent the majority of all lending activity in the protocol. Maker is following a similar path with liquid staking deposits surpassing ETH as collateral. Stablecoins and RWAs still represent the plurality of collateral assets. And the new LST-backed stablecoin market is now exploding, amassing 400k ETH in staked assets so far this year. LST finance had a moment in 2023, but it is likely only the beginning. The nearly 1 billion DAG TVL in these protocols is yield-bearing assets Yield is the lifeblood of finance, and these protocols unlock a new sustainable yield source for DeFi. Pendle, the native token of the yield trading protocol, was one of the best-performing assets in 2023, up over 2,000%. Projects like Athena and Prisma are still early in their stablecoin development and have the potential to bring new exciting solutions to LSTFI. Will we have a Lido in every PoS network pot? Probably. JITO, a combination of Flashbots for Solana, they build themselves as an MEV infrastructure project, and Lido for Solana, liquid staking for Solana, just dropped a mammoth airdrop to its users in early December and may very well be the project that sets off Solana DeFi's winter summer. Expect leading LSTs on other networks to follow suit. Uh, 8.7 Bridges and Messengers. Um, cross chain bridges have been a disaster for us over the past few years. Uh, When it comes to cryptos narrative vulnerabilities, bridges are behind only centralized exchange frauds as our biggest and most damaging black eyes. The $600 million Ronin and Polly network hacks, $300 million wormhole hack and $200 million nomad hack, among others have accounted for nearly half of the $5.7 billion in hacks over the past six years in DeFi, with a significant chunk of those funds allegedly flowing through to the North Korean hacking group, Lazarus. Look, it's, it's pretty obvious we're the victims here. No one sets out to lose nine figures of assets uh, in a smart contract vulnerability. But the setbacks shouldn't dissuade us from building trustless bridges, given how obvious it is that the future will be multi-chain The open internet of blockchains won't be possible without better bridges and interoperability protocols. I enjoyed this bankless interview on ThorChain, the largest DEX to offer Bitcoin trading today, with about 2% of overall Bitcoin spot volumes, and we've had a few positive developments in the bridge space this year. Our team covered Omnichain fungible tokens in depth. OFTs allow any application to mint and burn a single unified token standard across various chains from Layer Zero's endpoint smart contracts. Chainlink is looking to enter the Layer Zero game with CCIP, C Chapter 3.9, and UMA's across protocol has taken market share from peers and first party bridges with its fast and cheap optimistic Oracle design. I gotta hand it to the Marines. I like the mental model and narrative around CCIP as a L0, Chainlink's bevy of core services at the data and computation layer for L1s, and Chainlink itself as an L2, running node infrastructure to perform off-chain computations. But Chainlink has some competition, 8.8 oracles. As exciting as CCIP is, see chapter 3.8 in the top products to watch, there was a late-breaking addition that shifted the landscape Pith, the Oracle network built on Solana. Truth be told, Pith wasn't really on my radar until it dropped its token in November. The Oracle protocol has a great narrative. Solana native project plus focus on RWAs plus cheaper link plus institutional backing from the likes of Jump plus Airbnb model for crypto market data meme. But it's the underlying model that makes the project Highly intuitive to anyone who understands the uniquely borked nature of the crypto market data landscape. Rather than aggregate order data from crypto's exchange platforms, as is the model for TradFi incumbents like ICE is a company that is more data vendor than exchange. Pith incentivizes the market makers to contribute trade data, to assemble reliable order book and price data. Yeah. Why is this such a big deal? Crypto exchange data CX index is fragmented and generally unreliable for institutional audiences. There's the long time issues of fake volumes from loosely regulated offshore exchanges who offer no fee trading, wash trading incentives, liquidity mining, or manipulating their own order book data in order to climb the coin market cap rankings. Crypto tokens also don't list on a single dedicated exchange like the NYSE or NASDAQ but rather major global exchanges often compete concurrently to offer the tokens on their platforms. Because they usually double as custodial services, liquidity can migrate between platforms on a per month, per asset, and per product, perps versus spot, basis constantly. Oh, and most of the exchange APIs have sucked historically, though some are getting better. When you add those things up, you get one, the rise of aggregators like Keiko, Coinmetrics, Crypto Compare, et cetera who aim to address the issues above and consolidate various feeds into a single interface, providing an institutionally reliable aggregate spot prices, and two, sophisticated regulated market makers like Jump and Jane Street, who connect directly to global trading venues and manage their own higher fidelity records internally. Market data aggregators have a couple of limitations when it comes to offering reference pricing data for certain use cases. First, there are latency issues as you need to hop between multiple exchange APIs and run logic on the aggregator side that can net out bad data, adding hops to to market data intermediaries, uh, losing money to traders with faster information. Second, because of the liquidity fragmentation issues noted above, CEX market data is often misvalued. Crypto exchanges face an issue where they, A, haven't charged for their market data APIs historically. B, want to charge for it now, but overestimate the relative value of their market data compared to their competitors, because everyone is coming off zero. C, individually tend to overestimate the take rate they should have on multi-exchange index products. Binance will want a fee split that reflects their trading market share, while Coinbase will want a fee split that reflects their regulatory positioning in the West. It's a hot mess. What does this have to do with oracles? When multi-exchange Oracle data is expensive to aggregate, slow to propagate to networks, and generally only as good as the reputations of the exchanges supporting them, it's easier for an alternative to emerge. On the other side of the trade, market makers are usually the payers, not the sellers of market data. So when someone like Pith comes along and offers to aggregate market maker data and pay them for it, It's a no-brainer to the firms being approached, who are collectively able to reconstitute price feeds based on their large positions in the markets. These lower latency price feeds are essential for perp DEXs to function, and Pith has slowly amassed the majority of DeFi trading apps as customers. Chainlink is in an unusual position from where it's been historically, playing catch up with a low latency alternative called Data Streams, I'd imagine that data consumers will pay for multiple Oracle solutions to mitigate their upstream bad data risks. So this might not be a winner-take-all market. Synthetix uses both Chainlink and Pith for its PERP platform. That is assuming more DeFi protocols don't go Oracle free as it is. Now is that worth 28% of Chainlink? Does that not give Chainlink's new data streams product enough credit? Is Chainlink too far ahead with multi-chain integrations? and an economic model that can work at scale. That's for the market to decide. As an investor, I don't know how to underwrite these networks. They feel expensive. Chain links, fully diluted valuation matches fact sets. But as a data consumer, I'm excited they exist. Bitwise famously analyzed the fake volume problem in an epic report for the SEC as part of their Bitcoin spot ETF applications. Ironically, this data was then used as evidence to justify the ongoing delays in approving the products. Note, we appreciate our partners like Keiko, CryptoCompare, Coinmetrics, and CoinGecko. We're happy to work with teams who are working on some of these gnarly problems. 8.9 RWA diversification. People want money and investments on-chain, and the thing a lot of people are missing about the coming RWA boom and why this is different from the premature 2015 blockchain, not Bitcoin, and 2018 security tokens die, narratives around TradFi coming into crypto, is that Wall Street is not rushing in to take advantage of tokenization for its own back-end optimization, so much as rushing in to satisfy demand from wealthy investors who want on-chain products and will otherwise not invest into TradFi. This is a profound realization, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. Robinhood bridged a new generation to the stock market, but they also fueled the rise of meme stocks and and meme coins, and now those young shibes want to load up their IRAs with crypto ETFs, boomer ERC-20s that cost 10x more to store than the underlying crypto, but can grow tax-free. We probably won't see tokenized commercial real estate anytime soon, but we'll create network states that fractionalize Earth. When it comes to ushering in the era of RWAs on public blockchains, it will probably take a DeFi native, not a suit. And you'll want to follow where the DeFi natives are building. Some crypto holders will begin to sell into Wall Street's ETF buy walls in January. And when they diversify into other assets, most will prefer to buy them through Coinbase versus JPM. (laughs) We're not stuck with Wall Street, they're stuck with us. 810 stacks and BRC20s, Bitcoin is so back, we'll cover the inscriptions and ordinals boom in the next chapter, but for now, just know that new technical upgrades to Bitcoin Core have opened the door for a vast design space of scaling and added functionality in the Bitcoin ecosystem. BRC20s, stamps, runes, recursive inscriptions, and other types of new transactions have begun to flood Bitcoin's mempool and spike its fees as enthusiasts and traders tested out the tech. The corresponding fees are a possible solution to Bitcoin's long-term security budget issues, but they are also a source of concern for those watching the size of the Bitcoin blockchain. The number of UTXOs on Bitcoin has increased 73% since the beginning of 2023 to over 140 million. BRC20s, for instance, create new permanent transaction sets that cannot be pruned and may ultimately affect Bitcoin's decentralization as full nodes require more physical storage. Other L1s are now facing their own issues with BRC20 inspired tokens. Avalanche near Solana and others have experienced activity spikes from Ordinal's activity and Toncoin even had an outage because of the spikes in volume these types of transactions have caused. Bitcoin has seen a vibrant L2 sidechain ecosystem emerge this year led by Stacks, which can read and respond to Bitcoin L1 transactions. Stacks upcoming SBTC and Nakamoto release should provide access to BTC liquidity with fewer trust assumptions. Their integrated consensus mechanism is unique in leveraging the full hash power of Bitcoin to secure transactions. There are also several teams exploring rollups on Bitcoin like Chainway, RollKit, ZeroSync and Cassar Labs. Conclusion Subscribe to Masari Pro for the best DeFi research in the industry. It will be a raucous and volatile 2024, and we've got you covered. Don't miss the boat.